Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. People in the Kurdish region of Iraq have voted overwhelmingly for independence in a popular referendum that took place in late September. No country in the region wanted this referendum to happen, and neither did the United States, with whom the Kurds have been a longtime ally. Soon after the results were announced, the Iraqi government and other countries in the region, like Turkey and Iran, threatened and indeed took retaliatory measures. The implications of this referendum and its fallout are still unfolding, and here to help me make sense of what this referendum was all about and how it may impact the political and diplomatic dynamic of the region is Morgan Kaplan. He is a postdoctoral fellow at the Buffett Institute for Global Studies in the Department of Political Science at Northwestern University, and we have a good conversation about why this referendum was so politically significant and how it may affect the future shape of the Middle East. So even if you have no background in Middle East politics, I think you'll find this conversation very accessible. And one thing I particularly appreciated was Morgan's very concise explanation of intra-Kurdish politics and the role that played in this referendum. And, you know, that's important because sometimes you really need to get to the local level to understand the broader global implications of a move like this. Before we begin, I do want to plug once again that applications for the Summer Fellowship Program for Humanity in Action are now open. I participated in this program years ago. It changed my life. It will change yours. If you are a current university student or a recent grad and you are a listener to this podcast, then you are the precise demographic of applicants they are looking for to fill slots for this funded Summer Fellowship Program. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. I've posted a link to the application there. All right, now here is my conversation with Morgan Kaplan. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So the first thing to keep in mind is that this is certainly not uh, a referendum for independence, meaning simply because there was a vote in favor of independence uh, doesn't mean that this is a declaration of independence. In fact, there is no legal binding mechanism by which this vote changes the sovereignty of the Kurdistan region mm-hmm. of Iraq. Um, alternatively, It's not simply, uh, as some people have called it, a public opinion poll. It's something more than that. Um, The way it's often referred to as this is binding in the sense that it binds uh, Kurdish leaders 
to pursue Kurdish independence, Kurdistani independence as an end goal. And so what this referendum was, was supposed to be a first step in the process uh, to generate negotiations, in uh, to generate leverage in negotiations with Baghdad for an end goal of independence, and and, and presumably the overwhelming uh, result in favor of of independence was something that Kurdish leaders could have predicted and and probably did predict, and the idea is to give them a, a more solid political ground upon which to enter into negotiations with the Iraqi government. Uh, yes, precisely. Uh, there was kind of no question as to whether this would pass or not. Um, people knew it would pass high. Maybe there was disagreement over how high and there was uh, some vacillation in predictions prior to the vote, but it was always going to pass. So this was sort of uh, an easy play at uh, generating leverage in negotiations with Baghdad. Nevertheless, the fallout has been pretty massive, right? I mean, we're speaking about a week after the referendum, and it seems that both the Iraqi government and other governments in the region that do not look kindly on Kurdish nationalist claims have have taken a pretty hard line against uh, the Iraqi Kurds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was anticipated that this hard line would be taken. Uh, no one expected uh, the Iraqi government to take this lying down. It was very well anticipated that the Turks and the Iranians were going to be against the vote. I think what's most shocking for people, um, although certainly, you know, not unexpected, just no one assumed it would get this intense, is, is, is how high the rhetoric and tensions surrounding the vote actually became, given how limited the initial goals of the vote uh, were. But, you know, it makes sense. Uh, when you when you think about what's at stake for all the actors involved, obviously Iraq has no interest in letting uh, a piece of its territory uh, go off into independence, especially areas that have a, a large amount of oil. And Turks and Iranians have their own Kurdish populations that they have to consider and whether they will be influenced by this vote. And the United States has also made it very clear for, for quite a long time that it's not in support of uh, Kurdistani independence. Uh, the, the rhetoric surrounding it definitely was quite high. Um, I think not a lot of people anticipated the U.S. to come down so forcefully and so publicly especially um, against the vote, but, but certainly this was expected. And, and, and that, that curiosity around the U.S. position stems from the fact that the Kurds, the Iraqi Kurds in particular, have been among the most stalwart and effective allies, right, in, in the ground campaign against ISIS. Right. And, and I think, you know, some Kurdish leaders believe that this type of, uh, that they had, because of their participation in the offensive against the Islamic State, and their partnership with the United States uh, since, you know, the 2003 uh, invasion of Iraq gave them uh, kind of they had chips to cash in um, and they were going to use this in this pursuit of independence. They knew that the U.S. would push back, um, but it's not clear uh, whether they knew the pushback would, again, come this hard and this public. I guess from a Kurdish perspective, I mean, you have to wonder, like, how much longer must we have to wait? Because the U.S. line has, has always been, oh, no, now's not the time. Now's not the time. Um, but but from a Kurdish perspective, I mean, they've been stalwart U.S. allies for so long. So if not now, when? Yeah, I mean, the, the way 
Kurdish officials frequently talk about it as they saw this as a window of opportunity. Now, importantly, they don't say it's a good window of opportunity, uh, nor is it a long window of opportunity, but it's probably, at least from their perspective, the best they're going to get in a long time. And so they wanted to make sure that if this uh, window exists now, even if it's not a great one, even if the circumstances aren't good, uh, they're going to push towards it. And there are a few different reasons uh, why this window has presented itself. Yeah, explain um, that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, you know, the, the big question people ask is why now? Right. You know, why specifically on September 25th, 2017? I mean, the first thing to keep in mind is that this is not the first time that President Barzani has announced that there would be a referendum. Uh, this is something that has been announced uh, multiple times in the recent past, but has never actually come to fruition. So why this time it's different that there was actually a push forward. So, you know, the first is, as I said, this perception of, you know, this window of opportunity to actually cash in the chips. And where that comes in, uh, as you said, it was has to do with the, the fight against the Islamic State. Since 2014, the Kurds have been uh, fighting side by side uh, with the Iraqi army and others uh, with U.S. support to take back uh, territory that was taken by the Islamic State. But now we're kind of entering a different phase of this war. Um, the Islamic State certainly isn't out. Um, and even if it would be, it would still continue to operate in certain ways. But the Kurdish role in that coalition is going to come down a bit because of the end of Mosul operations. And so if the Kurds want to use leverage from being partners in this conflict, now is the time because they fear in six months people are going to forget you know, what, what sacrifices they made. So now's the time to cash in on that. That, that um, makes sense, yeah. Well, there, and, and there's a few other, you know, logics that, that are, are equally important. I mean, the, the second is, is the, the kind of back end of the window is the Iraqi national elections, which are happening in 2018. The Kurds want to be able to use this referendum vote to essentially go into the election process saying, we will support you know, the candidate for premiership in the, in the Iraqi government the, for the ones who are more likely to support our aspirations um, of independence. Now, it, it's important to note that the Kurds represent a very large uh, block in Iraqi parliament, and they have traditionally, you know, been necessary in the formation of a government. Mm. So they can take this, this vote and say, look, we're clearly on the path towards this, we will back the person who will help us get there. The, the third reason has to do with uh, taking control over disputed territories. So in the fight against the Islamic State for the last few years, the Kurds have, have come into control of a number of important territories that they consider to be part of the Kurdistan region, but are not formally part of the autonomous region within Iraq. These are, for example, the biggest case is the oil-rich city of Kirkuk, mm -hmm. which they eventually want to be part of their state. And, and so the and they idea, included Kirkuk in their referendum, right? Oh, absolutely. They included um, the Kirkuk province, Diyala province, and Nineveh province, or at least the, the territories they control in it, as part of the referendum. And this was very strategic. It was very calculated. Um, the idea was to tie the fate of the vote uh, to those territories. So then in negotiations, they can say, look, uh, the vote in these areas that you consider to be disputed voted in favor of Kurdish independence. So this is our position in negotiations. It's, it's worth noting that the, the phrasing 
of the referendum itself tied the Kurdistan region of Iraq, um, the formal administrative area, with these disputed areas. So uh, the vote of 92.7% that's been, it's been announced uh, isn't broken down by region. It's, it's for disputed and regular areas. Hmm. And then the final uh, mechanism, which is you know, certainly a last but not least, it's a very important one, is this has a lot to do with intra-Kurdish politics. And this is why you've actually seen disagreement within Kurdistan uh, over the process of the referendum itself. Uh, you know, a, a number of people within Kurdistan, particularly individuals who live uh, within the Silmania and Halabja provinces, see this as a play by President Barzani to extend his control over Kurdish politics and in the presidency in particular. Um, his man, his uh, his second term in office ended in 2013, but the Kurdistan parliament extended it by two years, given the circumstances uh, in the region. But that mandate essentially ended in 2015. And so there's been a sort of legal limbo of uh, uh. President Barzani's uh, tenure at the moment. And so other Kurdish parties, for example, the Goran movement in certain parts of the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, but not all of it, have seen this vote as a way for Barzani to generate support uh, for himself, his longevity in power, but also the Kurdistan Democratic Party, of which he's uh, a leader of. And it's important to note that they announced Kurdish parliamentary elections at the same time that they announced the referendum. Uh, clever, clever that Barzani. <laughs> uh, um, so, so you described um, earlier, like the, like the heated rhetoric that accompanied this uh, independence. But what sort of tangible actions has, say, the government of Iraq or other regional governments taken in retribution? Right. I mean, there certainly have been some tangible actions. I mean, a, a, a lot of this at the moment is kind of more smoke than fire. But but there have been certain things that have happened. Most notably is uh, Iraq has essentially shut down direct air travel to the Kurdistan region of Iraq. There are two international airports, uh, Erbil and Silmania. And you know, this is, these are primary ways for people to get in and out of the region. People don't usually fly to Baghdad and then on to the Kurdistan region. Usually it's direct. And so, wait, you just have like a bunch of like, like Egypt Air or something flies to, to Kirkuk? Uh, uh, not Kirkuk, but I mean, there, there's actually a lot of airlines, a lot of European airlines as well. But okay. you know, so it's like a it's a it's a common destination, and now none of these flights are coming in and out. Correct, and now you know the Iraqis have have kind of tried to say, well, look, it's not a total ban on air travel because you can fly into Baghdad, and from Baghdad you can go on to Erbil or Sulmania. The problem is, is that to fly through Baghdad, which is not only a pain. Um, you need an Iraqi visa, and in the Kurdistan, uh, uh, the Kurdistan region airports, uh, most people, at least foreigners, can get visas on arrival. It's a mm. very easy process. Um, but now, if you want to travel, right, you not only have this extra step, um, but you also uh, have to apply for a visa. Aside from that, you know there have been, you know, uh, kind of at the moment what looks to be symbolic. Uh, military gestures. You know, the the Iraqis have been doing joint military exercises with the Turks and Iranians near the border. Um, but at the moment, this isn't uh, becoming anything in particular. Um, and I think all sides do want to avoid uh, a kinetic military clash. 
now now correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that most oil that is pumped out of the Kurdish region goes to Turkey, right? And and Turkey pays the Kurdish government directly. Is there a sense that they might sort of pay the Iraqi government instead of the Kurdish government for this oil? I mean, the Turks are kind of leaving everything on the table at this moment in time. I mean, they're kind of dangling these sorts of things as, as, as threats on the Kurdistan region. But what's important is they, they haven't done them yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Tur- Turkey has a lot of business with the Kurdistan region. And, and, and so, you know, a, lo- a lot of people think that, you know, this is a threat they're going to hang over their head. Um, they, but they may not actually take this initiative. Uh, in the same with Iraq, right? They're, they're proposing a lot of different things that they can do to the Kurdistan region. And there have been announcements, you know, you know, the prime minister has also said, you know, we have the authority to send troops into Kirkuk uh, to reclaim territory. But but these are just uh, statements of what they can and may do, mm-hmm. but but not what they will do, at least in the near term. So is the sense that Turkey's opposition and, and really strident opposition to um, this the Kurdish independence in Iraq is that it might foment sort of Kurdish nationalist sentiment in Turkey. Is that their sort of overriding concern? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big concern for them. I mean, I think it's important to note that, you know, Turkish Kurdish nationalism, at least at this point, doesn't need um, an Iraqi Kurdish independent state to generate that kind of nationalism. I mean, it already exists, but but the problem is the precedent it sets. And this is the reason why, you know, any state for that matter tends to take a very, very, very hard line against secession uh, because it's a, it's a slippery slope and it could lead to contagion. You know, uh, if independence is possible for one area, then it could suddenly become possible for another. And so the idea is just to simply not allow anything to happen to avoid any sort of uh, you know, snowballing effect. So in their mind, even though Turkey has actually had, you know, decent and fair relations with the Kurdistan regional government in terms of economic, uh, economic actions, they, they still fear the move towards independence because what could that mean for Syrian Kurds, for, for Turkish Kurds? Will they then, uh, pursue the independence, not just autonomy, but independence? It's a critical next step. Uh, and, and is the same sort of overriding concern guiding Iran's position? What what are some of their like strategic um, goals right now vis-a-vis Kurdistan? Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty similar. Uh, Iran has a sizable Kurdish population, and I mean it's also worth noting that you know real wars have been fought uh, over the Kurdish issue in the past. Um, the Iranians waged a war against uh, Kurds in the 1980s, the same time as the Iran-Iraq War. Um, and so these these politics are kind of cross borders. Now, I mean, there are different Kurdish political parties, and they most certainly don't often agree with one another. Um, but again, the idea is, is, you know, the fear that there will be some sort of contagion. And, and, the, and you saw this a bit uh, with the celebrations happening in Iranian Kurdish regions after the referendum. Um, historically, you know, Iraqi Kurdish uh, history is kind of tied also to this Iranian area. area. Um, the Republic of Mahabad, uh, which was in 1946, which was this very short-lived Kurdish Republic, uh, actually was, was established in Iranian territory. And, you know, uh, 
Mullah Mustafa Barzani, which was the father of President Barzani, uh, was, was a leading figure in kind of this movement. It was the general of this area. And so there is this kind of shared history between the two, which is which is very frightening for the Iranians. Um, so, so how do you think this will will play itself out over the next uh, few months and, and years? Like, what are you looking to as indicators one way or another uh, as to that will suggest to you um, how this will play out? Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing to, to keep in mind is this can play out, I think, in many different directions, which is why at least this moment right now, immediately following the referendum uh, is, is very fascinating for people uh, who are watching the process. Because, you know, a lot of the, the tension that has risen around the referendum, a lot of it was self-made and self-fulfilling. And so this means that either, you know, this kind of tensions and escalation can increase, but at the same time, they can be be walked backwards. I think, you know, the most important thing we learned, at least in terms of uh broader national Kurdish politics at this stage is that uh, they're, they're not going back. And they've, they've said this time and time again, they don't want to be part um, of Iraq and their trajectory is going to be towards independence. Whether they're going to get it or not in the near future is a whole different story. Um, they have so much uh, being pushed against them, uh, but at least they're setting the tone that this is their end goal. I think it's important to, to follow intra-Kurdish politics at the moment. Um, there was a lot of, of, you know, disputes between parties and individuals leading up to the vote. Not everyone supported the process by which the referendum took place. And so the question is, is are Kurds now going to use this opportunity to unite party politics in inter-Kurdish politics? Or is this going to be a further division point, uh, which will probably work against Kurdish aspirations in the long run? And then, of course, the question is, is about, you know, I, I think... Uh, follow the Iraqi parliamentary elections, but also American leadership in the region. You know, a, a lot of a lot of this escalation, I think, was a part of people taking cues from the United States. Um, and so the U.S. has a big role to play now in, in guiding what the status of the next steps are, whether they're going to be, you know, focused around escalation or de-escalation. Uh, and I guess finally, I mean, looking at this in in like the long term and 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 sort of trying to to step step back a little bit in the long run, um, is an independent Kurdish state, broadly speaking, something that will serve the general interest interests of of peace and security in the region. I mean, this is the argument that you know Kurdish officials will make um, that they were you know, a, a bulwark against the Islamic State, that they have uh, no offensive intentions uh, towards outside actors, they want to pursue this process of negotiation. You know, the difficult part for the Kurds is going to be convincing their neighbors um, that, that this is true. And so there's going to be a debate over the years uh, about this. And um, I mean, it's certainly the rhetoric that they take and they want uh, to make. Uh, Kurds have traditionally kind of portrayed themselves in the international community as, as victims, and rightly so. I mean, thinking of uh, the Anfal campaign in the 1980s, uh, how Saddam Hussein came at them also after uh, insurrection in the 1990s. Um, so they're going to keep uh, putting on this uh, campaign to make these sorts of statements. And we'll see, you know, to what extent these can gain traction. But I think it's important to note that the Kurds are, are well aware that these statements 
um, you know, saying that they're going to be a positive element for the region. They know that these are, are, you know, this type of rhetoric is a necessary but not sufficient condition to get help from international actors. They know that the decision of the United States, the decision of their neighbors um, is based on real politique. And so they're going to try and make strategic arguments uh, for why there should be an independent Kurdistan. And what, what's the strategic argument that they can make that would resonate most deeply in Washington, D.C.? I mean, the, the strategic argument is, is again, using uh, kind of as, as an example what they've done in the fight against the Islamic State. Uh, these are actors who are allies with the United States. Uh, they're effective fighters, and they can serve as kind of uh, a buffer against kind of bad actors coming up. And so, you know, they want to make that sort of argument, you know, that they've always been, uh, you know, allies of the United States when the when you know things have gotten bad it's often been because the United States has turned their back on the Kurds and so they're kind of selling themselves as like look we're we're the ones who never stab you in the back uh you know there's a lot of politics in the region but we're the ones who who always have your back so you can trust us and not only that we're, we're quite effective um, militarily. Uh, but meanwhile, it's sort of an American interest to one stand by its NATO ally in Turkey and also um, advocate for the territorial integrity of, of Iraq, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from the American perspective, they, right, they still see a, a united Iraq in, in its best interests. Uh, you know, I mean, first, it's important to remember there's a tremendous amount of sunk costs into this process, you know, since the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, the efforts have always been to keep Iraq united. Uh, the idea is that, you know, breaking it apart could lead to more conflicts that'll just further complicate um, the region. And, and, you know, they're using the Islamic State and the fact that it's not down and out is a way of saying, you know, postpone it. You know, that's, that's been a lot of the rhetoric is that, is that not, now's not the right time. It's not so much that you'll never have an Islamic State. It's that now's not the time. Now's not the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that, of course, was tied into the idea of the Iraqi national elections coming up in, in, in American support for the Iraqi prime minister. Um, but so the United States you know, is very much in favor of, of a united Iraq. I think, I think though, the U.S. Has, has to reckon with the idea that, at least from the Kurdish perspective, they, they don't see a going back. And so the question is, is seeing what's just happened, seeing that, you know, the region defied U.S. pressure, very heavy U.S. pressure to stop the vote, you know, there, there's, there's a question of what's in American's best interest, but there's also a question of how to react um, to something that's happening on the ground that you may not have 100% control over. Uh, well, Morgan, thank you so much for your insights. This was very clarifying. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you to Morgan. Thank you all for listening. And I do want to mention a couple things. One, I am going to be doing another episode that answers your questions about careers in foreign affairs. The previous one that I did a couple months ago was very well received. I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from you guys for it, and I want to just keep providing for you. So to that end, if you have a question that you would like me to answer or pose to my guest who will be in a good position to answer your questions about 
careers in in world affairs in foreign policy then send me an email with your question you can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the contact button i aim to have this episode up in the next you know month or so i'll spend a few weeks collecting your questions and then i'll put the episode together for you and just thank you for for being a listener and, and thank you for your questions in advance and i will see you soon and before i let you go do please become a premium supporter of the show so i can do more great episodes like the one you just heard and also spend more time putting together episodes that help you advance your career in foreign policy through these kinds of career focused uh, episodes that I'm, I'm planning as well so please do support the show on patreon there's a link if you're listening to it on your your phone right now just just click the link that says support the show I, I so appreciate it thank you bye the views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of humanity in action